1: Hello and welcome to Biz Today. I'm Zhao Yang in Beijing. Coming up, we will have half an hour of business news and analysis. Our stories include The Chinese president is calling for stronger efforts in building China's modern infrastructure system, and Elon Musk sealed a 44 billion US dollar deal for Twitter. And now let's begin with our top story. Chinese President Xi Jinping has called for more efforts on domestic infrastructure construction to help build a modern socialist country. Speaking at the Central Committee for Financial and Economic Affairs meeting, Xi said infrastructure is the mainstay of the country's social and economic development. Participants at the meeting stressed the need to upgrade the traditional infrastructure facilities and step up construction of new infrastructure. Efforts should also be made to improve Transportation, Energy, and Water Conservancy Infrastructure Networks, they said. For more on this, join us on the line now are Dr. Wang Dan, Chief Economist of Hansen Bank China, and also Aina Tangen, Senior Fellow at the Taihe Institute. So welcome to our show. So first, Aina, the meeting has said China needs to bolster the construction of infrastructure in fields like transport, energy, etc., etc. So tell us why the infrastructure construction is emphasized now?
2: Well, a couple, a couple of reasons. Uh, obviously, the China is facing headwinds, as is the world, uh, in terms of jobs, uh, wages, etc. cetera. So uh, China is going to do their best to uh, address that. And you have to remember that all of this construction and infrastructure, that is an investment. It's not an expense. So. Very different from you know the efforts earlier on in other countries where they were giving money away to people to support the economy in this particular case uh, what they see is increased efficiency in these areas logistics uh, green uh, development uh, will make the country more competitive and use resources more efficiently uh, positioning China in the future to be a to continue being a uh, manufacturing hub Uh, not only externally, but internally.
1: Mm. And so then, so what do you think, how important is it now for the nation's economy and also for the building of a unified domestic market?
3: Uh, Right now, for macro policies, there are limited things that China can do. Um, because the US is, is in this cycle of hiking its interest rate, China really doesn't want to expand its monetary uh, policy by too much. So that means we have to rely on the fiscal expansion. And there has been a lot of emphasis on allowing more borrowing on the local government levels. And we have seen more issuance of the special debt targeting on the city metro uh, transportation in traditional and uh, more advanced ways. So uh, to bolster this year's growth, it just seems that China has to rely on more spending on building things.
1: And so, Aina, the meeting said the country's infrastructure is not compatible enough for its uh, national development and security. What do you think are the bottlenecks?
2: Well, obviously, logistics and things like that, there's going to be a tremendous amount of effort. Uh, we talked uh, over the last few years about uh, energy, and when you start talking about energy, it's really about transformers. You have areas in China where you can produce a tremendous amount of energy, especially in the West, in the sun farms, but the energy is being used on the East side, so you have to have very efficient tra- uh, transformers in order to uh, get the energy from where it's produced to where it is. Obviously, food very very important uh, china wants to uh, be self sufficient at this juncture because of the ukraine russia situation it's going to be very very difficult uh for people to get food we've already seen inflation in food and that will continue it's uh there's, there's really no way that ukraine is going to be able to harvest the winter wheat that was there nor are they going to be able to engage in a you uh, know a successful planting season given the situation so uh these things will go on obviously Uh, technology, this is the area which is kind of forward looking. Uh, you need to have these kind of efficient uh, systems in order to advance it. It's not just, uh, you know, connectivity in terms of road. There's also the social component when you bring intelligent people together with the resources needed. They're able to create new uh, solutions which can help. Uh, alleviate issues, especially given the fact that, uh, you know, with the energy situation and the movement towards coal as a last resource, but necessary, you know, you need heat, you need to run your economies, uh, technology, especially in areas like nuclear, uh, uh, fission, fusion, etc. these are going to be the uh, game changers uh, and possibly the only way that we can avoid a climate catastrophe.
1: Mm. And so then, actually, Ina mentioned technology, the new types of infrastructures, such as the supercomputing, cloud computing, the artificial intelligence platforms uh, will be included in the government's uh, infrastructure push. So what do you think about the potential in this You know, new infrastructure?
3: And the potential in building and strengthening many of those new infrastructures is quite substantial. And it is one of the main bottleneck for China's industrial upgrade. Uh, but if we're talking about uh, its role in boosting national growth, then that it will be limited at this point um, because many projects that can be done is already are already under construction. Uh, usually those kind of digital infrastructure, uh, depending on how you count it, uh, we think it, it's about 10% of total spending in China's infrastructure. And that is quite substantial, but really not enough to reverse the downward trend in growth.
1: Mm. And so, Aina, so how do you think will the investment in these areas help to drive China's uh, industrial upgrade?
2: Well, I mean, it'll be a tremendous improvement. Any kind of efficiency that you enter, uh, that you um, put into a system, puts you at a competitive advantage. Now, what do we have? uh, A situation with rates going up uh, in the United States and also in other parts of the world. It's going to be less likely that people are going to build capacity, especially you know, looking at a potential downturn. So, if China continues to position itself. As uh, the efficient provider, by addressing these bottlenecks, uh, in you know, invoking this kind of digital economy 4.0 into its factories and manufacturing processes, it's going to be at a competitive advantage, uh, not only during these hard times when people need cheaper goods because they can't afford anything else, but also coming out of it, uh, it it's always going to be a good situation. It's a counterweight uh, to rising uh, wages, which China wants but you can you know, pay people more if you create more efficiencies on the other end in terms of the processes.
1: Mm. And I know actually the infrastructure construction basically include those facilities to support fiscal uh, connectivity and also the information con- uh, connectivity. So what needs to be done or where should we put our focuses on?
2: When you start talking about uh, the communication side, what you're really talking about is this movement to the cloud. If you start looking at the numbers terms of the industry of what is going into the cloud you have like Huawei uh, which came out recently with their their earnings report which revenues were down but you start looking at what they're putting into investment uh, in research and development and it's very heartening and what they're telling you is that look, there are tremendous efficiencies uh, that are out there and they're going to be uh, selling every service in a cloud why because it's more efficient You don't have to have people installing it. You know, you don't have to have this big IT department. Basically, you can get on your phone and it becomes a supercomputer uh, when you need it to be, because you need a tough calculation or a tough answer or a set of data. Uh, It's all available. And that's uh, the movement.
1: Mm. And then so we've talked about the uh, infrastructure construction. But how much do you think that uh, this investment in the infrastructure could help counter the headwinds facing the economy?
3: Uh, Right now, the headwinds uh, or the downward pressure in the economy are mainly coming from two sources. Uh, One is the depressed consumption, and the other one is uh, the weak property market. And we did a back-of-the-envelope calculation, and it looks like with the current plan of infrastructure spending, it can pretty much negate the loss in the property market and uh, investment in total, is about 40% of China's GDP, and that is quite substantial. But the other downward pressure is uh, the consumption side. Um, it accounts for almost 60% of the GDP, and now the slowdown uh, is quite significant, and in March, actually, the retail sales turned negative growth. So we need separate measures to target the consumption problem, while the infrastructure can uh, help with the property market problem.
1: Mm -hmm. And so Aina, take a broader look at the economy. The government has vowed to stabilize the economic growth while maintaining the COVID-19 prevention and control. So what could be done and what kind of supportive measures are needed?
2: Well, I'm going to I disagree slightly with Dan. Dan. I mean, I, I think that the infrastructure investment plan does address jobs because you know when you start looking at the construction industry as a whole, it's almost 26 percent of the GDP. It was at least in 2021. Um, so you, you have a situation where you create jobs. Uh, local economies are affected because all these projects are, are are local. They're spread out over over China. This creates opportunities for small, medium-sized enterprises, uh, and that lose profits, jobs, and wages. And that's really what is necessary to reverse this downward trend in consumption. People aren't consuming, one, because they don't have confidence, and two, because uh, they just, you know, jobs are down. You know, you're looking at 10 million uh, new college graduates going into a market uh, that is already saturated. There have been uh, t- uh, hundreds of thousands of layoffs in these high-tech industries, or which were, you know, once booming, things like that. So you have to put these people back to work, put money in their pockets, and go. One thing that I think people should be aware of is as soon as China transitions from pandemic to endemic, you're going to see a burst of spending, this kind of revenge spending, especially in the tourism areas as uh, Chinese netizens decide to go abroad that you know all these trips that they delayed uh, relatives that they want to see. And that's going to uh, you know really change things. And I think the confidence, Coming out of that, assuming that China continues on its course, is able to handle a pandemic, is going to be very big. It'll put the Chinese consumer way ahead of everybody else in terms of confidence that their government can deliver what is necessary for the economy as opposed to other ones. So I think you're, towards the end of this year, you're gonna see some very, very rapid growth in China, despite headwinds in the rest of the world.
1: Mm-hmm. And Dan, so also on the performance of China's industrial sector, China's industrial profits was up 8.5% in quarter one. So what are your key takeaway from this figure?
3: Uh, China's industries have been performing very well after COVID, uh, even this year, the level of growth is slower than last year. But uh, still significantly higher than the pre COVID level. Uh, It is uh, mostly driven still by the strong overseas demand. Uh, The US economy is still overheated, and uh, other ASEAN countries are speeding up their production, industrial production, and they import a lot of the intermediate goods and raw materials from China. Um, And we have seen this very strong push for China to upgrade its industrial supply chains. And that has improved, uh, in a way, the capacity for uh, the leading companies, the leading factories in different sectors in manufacturing. Mm
0: -hmm. And
3: uh, that's also why we see a wider gap uh, between the profitability of uh, the bigger companies and smaller companies. And for smaller companies, it's getting harder since they don't have the capacity to control their cost as effective. And for foreign investors, uh, their profit was actually uh, turning negative in the first quarter. Um, but it's also because they do not have the kind of flexibility and capacity to contain cost when imported goods are becoming so expensive.
1: Mm-hmm. So Aina, what do you think about the uh, performance of China's uh, industrial sector for this year?
2: I, I think it will continue to be good. You know, As I, I, I go on, you start looking at uh, industrial capacity in different countries. China is above the uh, point where people uh will in fact start uh, creating more uh, capacity., uh, it's a percentage of your uh, of your industry that is actually working. the u s is underwater in terms of the number that they need to hit. So comparative, you know in u s they're raising rates. who's going to invest? So you have a situation where the most efficient uh, in- industrial chain is going to be the one that wins. And mm. right now, China's on um, on course of that. The U.S., Europe is, are not because they're not investing.
1: Mm. And so, I know earlier you mentioned the small and medium-sized enterprises. So, considering those uh, small and uh, medium-sized enterprises, how much can the current relief measures do you think can help them?
2: Yeah, as I said earlier, I, I do believe that uh, this uh, construction. Uh, because these projects are located all of China, all over China, they create local opportunities not only for jobs, wages, uh, but also supplies, uh, services, local trucking companies. There's all sorts of things that go into a construction uh, project. And uh, good percentages are, are based locally, obviously, large industries, glass, cement, et cetera. They will also be involved. But it's also on the technology side. So that should give a boost to a lot of these producers in there, and they should be hiring back uh, more people. And those, those jobs tend to be a little bit uh, higher compensation. So I do think that the, the government is headed in the right direction. Uh, the only caveat I would have is rather than looking uh, local bonds, as uh, was discussed by uh, Dan Dan, I think they, sh- they should be considering this build-own-turnover, things where they let private enterprises come in, build it, and then turn it over after they've gotten their profit back because it lessens debt, uh, puts a cap on, on prices because the uh, private sector is, in essence, guaranteeing the project. Uh, and it, it can be a very good way of avoiding it and also perhaps something that should be considered for the Belt and Road Initiative. Mm.
1: Well, we're speaking with Aina Tengen, Senior Fellow at the Taihe Institute and also Dr. Wang Dan, Chief Economist of Hansen Bank China. And after a short break, we'll take a look at Elon Musk seals a $44 billion US dollar deal for Twitter. Stay with us.
0: Hello, this is Michael Zhang. Greetings from Los Angeles of the Golden State of California. Thank you today for making me part of your team. I truly enjoy the debates we had and look forward to many more in the years
2: to come.
1: You are listening to Biz Today. I'm Zhao Yang in Beijing. Elon Musk has written a deal to acquire Twitter for about 44 billion US dollars. The social media platform will become a privately held company after the sale is closed. CGDN's John Tarrant reports from New York.
0: Wall Street has generally declared itself to be satisfied with the $44 billion takeover of Twitter by Elon Musk. Wall Street thinks it was a good deal. And Wall Street has been pretty fed up with Twitter for the best part of the last 10 years ever since it became a public company. The problem is its share price has never really done anything very exciting. It's been bumping along the bottom for most of the time and it's not really worth any more now than it was when it first came to market. So here on Wall Street, 50-year-old Elon Musk is considered to be a business genius, one of the few people in the world and probably the only person in the world who could actually pull off such a deal, which he did do. It's interesting to note, though, that he still needed the help of the banks, even though he is the world's richest man. The banks Bank of America and Morgan Stanley are involved, helping him out. You presume that in return, they think they're getting an insight not only into Twitter, but also quite likely Tesla and SpaceX as well. The banks produced a report for the Twitter board saying that at $54.20, Elon Musk's bid for Twitter was fair and that they should consider it. And the report also said that Twitter may struggle on its own to get to that share price level of 54.20. Wall Street, for the longest time, has wanted Twitter to be revamped along the lines of Instagram and TikTok, which is where the eyeballs are these days. So as it prepares to lose Twitter, probably by the end of the year, what kind of changes might be coming up? Well, not much is known about what Elon Musk plans for Twitter are, but he did pay $44 billion, so he must have some serious, very definite plans. Among the changes, we think, could be more fun on the platform. Less moderation. He's often cited Twitter's policy of free speech. And this opens the door for Donald Trump and a possible 2024 White House run. Twitter, of course, relies on advertising. So if he goes down that route, he's going to need to beef up the advertising intake. Or will he go for a subscription model, possibly funded by the cryptocurrency Dogecoin? The staff are worried that he will downsize the company. They're concerned about their jobs. When the news about Twitter being taken over by Musk came out on Monday, it literally lifted the whole of the stock exchange. The markets were in the green, whereas they'd been in the red before. A different story on Tuesday, though Twitter down 4%, Meta down 3%, and Snapping down 4%. John Terrett, CGTN, on the trading floor of the New York Stock Exchange.
1: Well, then first of all, I want to get into the specifics of this deal, the 44 billion US dollars. Why do you think Elon Musk wanted Twitter so badly and why go private?
3: Well, Elon Musk claims that he wants to make online speech freer. Uh, he has expressed that repeatedly in his previous tweets. Um, but he doesn't want to do this with a lot of regulators and other members on the board on his tails. Uh, so by going by going private, uh, the Twitter stocks uh, will essentially be taken off from the New York Stock Exchange first. And then he doesn't need to update about its business to regulators or to the Wall Street. He can just make whatever unpopular changes to Twitter without affecting the valuation of the company.
1: Mm-hmm. And so, Aina, so did Elon Musk get a good deal or who are the winners and losers in this?
2: Well, I mean, he's going to be the biggest loser here. Uh, you know, he's a boy genius. And I, when I say that, I mean, he is undoubtedly one of the, the most brilliant minds that we've had in, in many, many years. Uh, but he also acts like a child. I mean, you know, he, I'm going to put Coke back into Coca-Cola and take it over. Mm. Uh, you know, the, this, because the guy didn't use my sub to rescue some, uh, boys who were trapped in the cave, he's a pedophile. I mean, there's a whole string of things, uh, that are associated with, you know, uh, very juvenile behavior. Um, it's not clear that there's any business strategy. He can hint around or whatever. Uh, but you know, the issue with, uh, Twitter is they have not been able to respond uh to google and facebook in terms of numbers of viewers maybe he can do that through uh you know he can get a bump through his you know personal following and things like that he can try to make it more interesting but if he starts taking down the content moderation he's going to run into problems Regulatory, uh, with the U.S. also the EU, which has already fired a cannon shot across his bow, saying, "Don't think you're going to just, you know, yeah, let this thing go wild. We do have rules in the EU. He's going to struggle with that. Um, you know, he can go to a subscription-based uh, fine, but it's 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 not really there until he gets the number of of uh, users up his pay-per-click advertising is is just not going to take off there's too many too much competition somebody said oh he can raise the price mm-hmm. <laughs> right only he can only raise the price if people have nowhere else to go and they have plenty of other places
1: mm-hmm. but i know what does the future hold for twitter can elon musk fundamentally change twitter
2: there will be changes to Twitter. I mean, he's obviously going to imprint his own style on it. Uh, some people think that he's uh, doing this kind of Rupert Murdoch thing where he, he's buying up a property that gives him a huge, uh, you know, megaphone out into the world uh, and that this is part of some sort of uh, plan to, uh, to take it politically. Uh, also, you know, with Twitter, even as it is, it has a tremendous amount of influence on, you know, the political process. Uh, mm-hmm. on the financial process you can use it as a megaphone to kind of push things around now he might run into more problems with the SEC if it involves uh, other companies that he's involved with uh, but we have to see the only thing we do know is he will continue to court controversy and that you know despite the fact that he's had a, a brilliant run uh, those banks are probably uh, using his stock in his various companies and if things start to go south they're gonna make calls on his stock and he could be uh, the very the richest man today and a much poorer one in the future
1: mm-hmm. so then, how have Twitter employees and people around the world responded to this deal?
3: Well, like Ina said, I think the Twitter employees probably are more worried than have here uh, about this deal um, because by going private, there is a lot of uncertainties about where the company will go and whether it will exist after a while. Because Elon Musk himself did turn uh, a lot of industry, disrupt a lot of industries. Many things he touched have turned gold, like the new energy industry, the online payment system. And he's sending stuff to the Mars, uh, a lot of revolutionary ideas. But then by getting Twitter, he's essentially the, own, the owner of this most important social media in the world. And we can't forget that how important Twitter is in global politics and geopolitics. Mm. It is basically the start of the Arab Spring movement. And Elon Musk tend to tweet whatever comes up in his mind, like putting the cocaine thing. And also he's talking about a lot of random idea in the past that would stir up the market significantly. I'm not sure uh, if uh, the world would be just as happy as Elon Musk himself. But he's a billionaire. He can do whatever he wants, I suppose. Mm. So,
1: I So will Trump be back on Twitter? Do you see a clear party line regarding the matters in the U.S. welcomed by the Republicans, but battered by the Democrats?
2: <laughs> well, no, Trump said he's not going on. But there's one reason. It's not because he doesn't want to go on. It's because he wants to support his new social uh, media platform that he's created. And, you know, he thinks going to make a bundle out of um, so uh, yeah don't 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 look for him to go back on there unless his uh, struggling platform continues to underperform but really, their stock was uh, just stratospheric uh, went up big time after the Twitter announcement not certain quite certain what the nexus is uh, maybe he thinks uh, people think that his supporters will somehow move en masse away from Twitter because of Elon Musk I doubt it my guess is that many of the people who support Trump also like Elon Musk, and for the same reasons. They're material people who are hard to figure out and uh, seem to just move in random directions.
1: Mm-hmm. And then so now Elon Musk, he owns so much. But do you see any regulatory hurdles as well?
3: Um Not as much as when Twitter was a listed company. Uh, Now Elon Musk still has uh, legal obligations, but for uh, the stuff he enjoys tweeting, uh, I don't see uh, much strain attached. Um, Because previously, for example, he was talking about uh, when Tesla's uh, stocks uh, reached $420 per share, then he would make Tesla go private. That was back in 2018 or uh, 2018. And after he said that, then SEC fined him $20 million for uh, basically uh, disclosing information that was not supposed to be out there to uh, make speculations. And uh, for Twitter, uh, the similar kind of regulation won't be there. Uh, If Elon Musk wants to tweet things uh clearly he has some conflict of interest in, like the Tesla or the SpaceX or some other business he tried to get into, Uh, he can't really be punished. There might be warnings, but I just can't see any legal consequences from doing that.
1: Well, thank you for both of the two guests. And that was Wang Dan, Chief Economist of Hansen Bank China, and also Aina Tengen, Senior Fellow at the Taihe Institute. And that's all the time we have for this edition of Biz Today. I'm Zhao Yang in Beijing. Thank you so much for listening.